0: This podcast was recorded at 10 a.m. Jakarta time on 2 December. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy the podcast. This is a special edition because of the uh, fast-moving developments with regard to the Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus and reactions uh, by... The government of Indonesia and other countries in the region, we've uh, conducted an interview with the South and Southeast Asia analyst for the Eurasia group, Peter Mumford. And uh, that follows where uh, we will uh, discuss the uh, developments and implications and some of the scenarios that uh, may lie ahead. Indonesia, in particular, has increased its travel quarantine period for incoming visitors from three days to seven days. And just uh, this morning, the coordinating minister, Lohipin Jayatan, announced that the period will increase further to 10 days. So uh, that's an example of the type of uh, measures that some governments in the region are taking. And this uh, is happening despite... uh, very low transmissions to date. Still currently in Indonesia for COVID, with the latest uh, data through one December showing that uh, case detections nationwide are still declining, uh, you know, falling ten percent week on week. Uh, but there's a, a expectation that uh, this could turn around with uh, the inevitable arrival of the Omicron variant and also the upcoming uh, end-of-year holidays, uh, Christmas and New Year's, which are likely to prompt increased social mobility and uh, the risk of further transmissions. So without further ado, the uh, interview with uh, Peter Mumford.
1: Okay, he is the South and Southeast Asia analyst for the Eurasia Group and friend of the pod, Peter Mumford. Welcome back. Got a question yeah, good for to you. you very much,
2: Jeff. Great is
1: it yeah. Omnicron or Omnicron or Aminocron? Well, how, how do we pronounce it? I'm getting a. <laughs> we should probably come to the landing How to how to pronounce it
2: omicron it seems to be the one that's used the most omni uh, omicron omni there's no n at the start Yeah. it's it's o-m-i-c-r-o-n i I think omicron but uh there seems to be some confusion over exactly how it's pronounced yes
1: confusion about how it's pronounced and uh its impact how about that for a segue um do we what, what do we know about it uh, other than at, at least sort of the economic and business impacts other than um, how, how to pronounce it now?
2: <laughs> it's still, I mean, it still remains quite uncertain, of course, in terms still very early days uh, in terms of, you know, what data and evidence there is in terms of whether this is much more contagious uh, or whether and or whether it's uh, much more lethal or more likely to cause serious infection than than previous variants i mean bear in mind when delta emerged it took quite a bit of time before it was really clear just kind of what impact delta would have and even to this day sort of experts are still debating to some extent exactly how much delta differed from other variants uh so still a lot of uncertainty which in itself uh, is a problem
1: that is a problem yeah
0: Yeah. uh, What are you uh, noticing, Peter, in terms of the uh, reactions of various uh, governments around the region to the potential uh, Omicron variant cases?
2: Seems to be uh, somewhat cautious so far. I don't think we've seen countries in Southeast Asia suddenly jump to take drastic action. Um, And certainly in terms of domestic restrictions, I think countries are sticking with where they are or have been, which is sort of on a pathway to uh, lifting most domestic restrictions. When it comes to borders, though, that's kind of where this obviously could have uh, the most sort of immediate um, impact. And I think even there, though, we've seen sort of somewhat a balanced response. Of course, You know, most countries have banned travellers from certain countries uh, in Africa where the the outbreaks have been confirmed. Uh, But a challenge for these countries is, you know, if they've stated that they're going to ban travellers from countries where Omicron is confirmed, well, as that number of countries inevitably (laughs) rises, (laughs) do they start banning pretty much everywhere? I mean, Malaysia just said yesterday, I think, or the day before, this is the 1st of December, that they will ban travellers from high-risk countries or countries that have confirmed Omicron, but what do they do when that list starts growing and growing and growing?
1: Yeah, that's kind of depressing because it sort of feels like we are no smarter at addressing variant outbreaks than we were back in July. We were issuing travel bans and um, not not addressing the, the real issue, which is, for me, vaccination, right? I mean, is, is, is anyone sounding smart or is everyone equally dumb on this?
2: Um, if you're talking about Southeast Asia, I think countries are being a little bit more cautious in terms of not jumping into sudden sort of drastic domestic restrictions. And I think they're right. they are they're able to do that because, you know, vaccination has risen uh, in several countries in the region. I mean, of course, if you look at... Singapore, Malaysia, Cambodia, Brunei, and now Thailand, those five countries all have a higher level of vaccination than the US, for example. That may say as much about the US. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so they're in a very different position to where they were when the Delta variant kind of struck. Um, And, you know, other countries are further behind, such as Indonesia, and the Philippines, um, and Vietnam, but they are you know, to relative degrees, catching up as well. So, you know, the region is in a better place. The other factor, of course, is that, you know, as time has gone on, um, the economic sort of costs of COVID-19 have, of course, built up. And the scope for countries to sort of proceed with uh, fiscal or monetary stimulus has gradually reduced as well. So, you know, countries across the region really cannot afford to do very drastic domestic movement restrictions um, again anytime soon. I mean, what we're seeing so far really is tweaking of reopening plans where they are happening um, in, for example, in sort of Thailand uh, and Singapore, which are the two countries that have made the most progress so far in reopening. I mean, in the case of Thailand, it's very slight tweakening tweaking it's sort of saying well the the test that you do on arrival uh, will not be changed as we planned in the middle of December so you still have to do this kind of what they call like a one-night quarantine effectively um, until you get your test results in mid-December they were thinking of changing that to a a faster type of test where you wouldn't have to have like a one-night pre-booked or whatever uh, and they've now scrapped that but that's a very minor tweaking in the scale of things Um, and similarly in Singapore you know, they've delayed launching uh, a few new vaccinated travel lanes to some countries in the Middle East, uh, but they actually, on the day that Omicron news broke, they proceeded with, with announcing new vaccinated travel lanes with a few countries uh, such as uh, Thailand, um, and Fiji, and Sri Lanka, and a few others. Elsewhere in the region, I think those countries that haven't really got very far in reopening, such as Indonesia, Philippines... Uh, this has sort of given them more pause for thought. So it could further delay um, sort of what's happening in those countries.
1: So um, stay the course, really, is what, yeah. what, what you're seeing.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Peter, I always like to uh, focus on the worst case scenario. And uh, in this case, <laughs> if uh, Omicron were to evade uh, vaccines or maybe even cause reinfections uh, among people who have already had COVID, then what, uh, what What would we be looking at then over the next uh, few months in Southeast Asia and in, in that scenario?
2: Well, I mean, that really is quite a sort of doomsday scenario, I mean, for the global economy as a whole. So it's not obviously just going to be Southeast Asia that's in, in, in difficulty. I mean, the, you know, the, the country's capacity to respond if we go back into a very, very severe outbreak where we've got, you know, healthcare systems completely overrun despite sort of vaccination, because you say there's a possibility that you know, Omicron is resistant to that, then, you know, it will really depend on what's the capacity of different countries to respond. I mean, I would argue that somewhere like Indonesia probably still has a little bit more scope on the fiscal and monetary side than, say, for example, uh, a country such as the Philippines does In terms of fiscal policy, although it has a bit more space for monetary, um, or a country like Thailand, which has really low, really very little space, if sort of no space to to further looser monetary policy, although it does have a little bit of fiscal space. Um, So, you know, you have to kind of look at all the different countries. But I mean, I, you know, although Indonesia, of course, is looking to reduce its fiscal deficit and has talked about concerns, i would be less concerned about indonesia in some ways than i would about some other countries because ultimately indonesia has lower debt levels and you know the fiscal deficit has increased but it's not nearly as dramatic as say the philippines um and you know indonesia still has scope to cut interest rates if we are in a scenario where global demand has really slumped as well as domestic demand and therefore you know some of the inflationary pressures that have emerged in recent months Will of course
1: also be easy. I guess that probably in that in that scenario, you'd probably be looking at um, the the ability of major export markets to withstand a, a shot like that, right, uh, Kevin and Peter. I mean, uh, you, you'd probably be looking at the wisdom, maybe in China, of maintaining their sort of near ban on all foreign entries, and that might portend an ability to keep that particular economy ticking, and that bodes well for exports or like of of Indonesia you'd have to sort of going down have to go down the ledger and right and see what the knock-on effects would be for the big export markets for example and and sources of investment
2: yeah absolutely I mean so you know Vietnam is going to be much more exposed to changes in global demand for example um, and has already seen a you know significant drop in growth whereas of course um, you know when it comes to tourism for example you know, Thailand is by far the most exposed right? in In Southeast Asia. So for Thailand, if, you know, Omicron really results in global travel, you know, sort of stopping again, essentially, or being severely delayed, then Thailand is in real difficulty because it was barely growing this year as it is. I mean, close to 0% growth. And it it was already being relatively cautious in its expectations of tourist recovery next year. Um, but it really needs tourists to come back soon um, because it is running out of, you know, options. Um, and then you get into the space of when we think about the implications of this doomsday scenario: is, you know, do we need to reassess our views of the political and geopolitical implications? Because so far through the pandemic, actually, the impact on domestic politics and on geopolitics has been fairly modest. Yeah. But but you could imagine a scenario where, you know, if countries such as Thailand have yet another year or even longer of no growth, then we'd have to be thinking about, actually, are political risks really going to rise in countries like that?
1: Are you talking about, like, the underlying issues that they're having with, with uh, are they Republican forces? Well, certainly anti-monarchy, anti-coup, um, anti-government forces, Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, they would, they would argue, so the protesters would argue they're not pro-Republican, they're just pro-reforming the monarchy. Right, okay. Um, And the kind of establishment would argue that they are, they are sort of Republican threat, if you like. Right, right, right. Um, And therefore be have to kind of be quashed. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're a sort of mix of people who are angered at the sort of military backed government. Um, and people who are calling for uh, changes to the to the way that the monarchy operates. But, you know, the situation there in Thailand is the case of, you know, if you have a multi-year prolonged slump in uh, economic growth and unemployment rising, you then start to think about, well, do these sorts of social movements, protest movements expand beyond, um, and this is maybe an oversimplification, but expand beyond... A group of, you know, sort of angry youths to include broader segments of society, I mean, people from rural areas, you know, a lot of people who have depended on jobs from the tourism sector and may have, may have just about survived and many of them have really struggled, you know, so far, but really couldn't take another year or so of this. Um, so I think, you know, we have to sort of look at those social movements.
0: Um, How about the, from the standpoint of vaccine supply, Do you anticipate impacts for Southeast Asia in the event that uh, Pfizer and Moderna need to uh, retool their production lines to adjust to Omicron, or is that somewhat irrelevant for the region because those vaccines are not really abundant in Southeast Asia to begin with?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a very valid point. I mean, I think that arguably that will apply to the whole world, of course, Um, and You know, it could be for Southeast Asia, it could be exacerbated by the fact that, um, you know, if Omicron concerns grow, uh, then there will be, you know, sort of more focus on, as you say, uh, changing uh, the vaccines and then doing another round in in, in sort of US and Europe or and or doing booster shots. So that will inevitably somewhat affect the supply to Southeast Asia and other emerging markets. Um, But again, I mean, countries in this part of the world are using different vaccines to different degrees. And as you know, Indonesia has used Sinovac very heavily, but has been diversifying its supplies. Whereas, you know, Thailand is using AstraZeneca a lot, but also has a sort of mix. And Pfizer and Moderna are being used quite significantly across the region uh, as well. But if we're in that situation where vaccines need to be reworked, then, you know, the whole world is in in a tricky situation. Mm.
1: Can, can i jump in there on on vaccines and um well actually it's not really about vaccines it's just sort of like your sense of of public sentiment like you know governments um on the one hand would be loath to issue any more movement controls um because there's not a lot left in 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 the bank but i wonder also it's just it's is the public just sick of this? Like, w- could we expect widespread demonstrations and just uh, a refusal to, to go along with another Pepe KM like in, like in Indonesia? Like I, I, th- I think that the overall people are pretty fed up.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, it's definitely a risk. I mean, I would probably see it as less of a risk than in Europe or the U S. Oh, wow! Well. but you know, certainly you could see, resistance. I mean, I think, you know, in the case of Indonesia, I mean, as we know, you know, Djokovic has been pretty against uh, tough lockdowns anyway, so it would really have to be uh, a very severe situation, I think, before Indonesia does, you know, much more sort of draconian uh, restrictions than it has done so far, given that it's avoided that even in previous kind of, you know, crises during, this, during the pandemic. But yes, I mean, social sort of... Tolerance for for Lockdowns um, And you know the impact on mental health and, and other kind of health issues Of course has been You know very significant
0: Yeah fortunately um, Indonesia has uh, high commodity prices right now So yeah, yeah, like you mentioned The government could afford to Mitigate the impacts And, and disperse uh, Social assistance again Which would uh, help you know, Change the mood But yeah um, that's all going to hinge on the commodity prices, really. Uh, which, well, which I was going to say, clap. yeah. I
2: mean, if we're if we're in a doomsday scenario of, <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, no. doomsday scenario, then I suspect global commodity prices will be hit pretty badly as well if global demand slumps. Yeah, so, uh, it may well have that. But I mean, financial markets will, of course, uh, change their expectations um, and tolerance for increased spending if the situation changes as well. Um, and I think, you know, this is where things such as the recently passed uh, tax reform bill in Indonesia will help um, because the fact that the government has already passed this sort of bill to look at ways of you know, raising new revenue without choking the economic recovery, uh, it's sort of got that in the bag already, at least to some extent. Um, so it will have a kind of, you know, a bank of confidence um, from markets in Indonesia as well as potentially, you know, ways to, to help fund sort of slightly more spending if it needs to. So I think on that front, I do see Indonesia actually in a slightly better position than, than some other countries in the region.
0: Indonesia has to host the uh, G20 um, starting now for the next uh, 10 or 11 months. And at the same time, the uh, travel quarantine for incoming visitors is increased to uh, 7 days and possibly uh, further to 10 days uh, according to some reports so how do you see the G20 unfolding and under, under that sort of uh, framework
2: yeah i mean some some people say the reason that indonesia has been slower than other countries in southeast asia to look at reopening uh, is because that the government is so worried about another spike in cases and that disrupting uh, its sort of G20 chairmanship uh, and sort of it hosting events in Indonesia. Um, you know, other factors, of course, include the fact that it's less dependent on travel and tourism than other countries in the region. Um, I mean, my own view is that the current system is a bit somewhat sort of hard to fathom because it's sort of this quarantine that's at a halfway house that doesn't seem quite long enough public health needs but is long enough to deter a lot of travelers um, although they have now extended it so yeah i mean g20 i mean if it has to end up being virtual of course that's you know happened before uh for a lot of international summits i mean, it would be disappointing for indonesia and some to some extent um as we all know that indonesia doesn't always get the level of international attention that it arguably deserves uh, and merits given its size and importance um, and hosting G20, of course, followed by ASEAN chairmanship the year after, um, gives it sort of a bit more of a global platform. So it would be a shame if you know, world leaders won't be meeting in Indonesia next year. Mm. Yeah. But let's say that's only a doomsday scenario. I mean, hopefully that won't that materialize.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you know, probably more likely that Omicron will prove to be you know, susceptible to uh, you know, vaccination such that cases are not so severe, at least, or uh, you know, the incidence of breakthrough cases is just uh, somewhat higher with the Omicron variant than it is from the Delta variant. So,
2: Yeah, I mean, I think certainly the, you know, the views of the Eurasia group Health experts is you know to quote a recent article you know don't it's not time to jump out the window at the moment um, and you know not to kind of not to panic just yet um, we have to wait and see.
0: Peter, have you had any uh, chance, by any, by any chance to look at the uh, data from Chile, um, which I know is uh, <laughs> far away from Southeast Asia, but I think it's the um, the one significant country that's uh, relied extremely heavily on Sinovac and. Um, uh, I just uh, I think it's remarkable that Indonesia has been able to bring its uh, transmissions down to such an extremely low level, uh, with um, you know, based on I think eighty percent plus use of uh, Sinovac for its vaccine supply, and um, I wonder what the experience is in uh, Chile, or, or what you what you think about uh, Sinovac in general.
2: Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I haven't looked at Chile in, in closely, uh, to be honest. Um, In terms of Indonesia's transmission, yes, it has been quite remarkable. I mean, testing is very low in Indonesia, so that, you know, it's uh, obviously there's going to be significant underreporting, but nevertheless, it's clear that the healthcare system is not under severe strain, at least compared to what it was before. Um, I mean, across the region as a whole, cases have come down quite sharply. Um, Vietnam being an exception and a noteworthy one, given its sort of role in Supply chains, although I think the high level of vaccination in targeted vaccination in certain areas in Vietnam should protect supply chains to some extent, um, unless we are in your doomsday scenario. Um, hmm. But yeah, in Indonesia, so I think it has been successful. I mean, it, it may tie back into what we've been talking about, which is the fact that Indonesia has largely kept its borders closed. And yes. that may be indeed why um, the government is so reluctant to to push ahead with with reopening um because it's sort of you know having recovered so successfully uh from the crisis you know several months ago it's sort of loath to uh throw all that progress out the window by reopening you know prematurely
1: yeah well i was just wondering about capacity to to deal with um sudden surges in the in healthcare uh systems in this doomsday scenario which you know, hopefully it doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> pray it doesn't happen. Um, would we expect to see people uh, on the pavement outside hospitals again, like we did in Jogjakarta back in July, uh, a government's building out th- th- their capacity to deal with surges? I mean, other than the vaccinations or the higher inc- level of vaccinations, what difference on the health services me- measure is there between now and last July?
2: I think, you know, obviously a key focus has been on boosting oxygen supplies um, and capacity on that front. And I think, you know, the government has um, made a, a, lot of, a lot of progress um, and obviously getting more sort of um, backup ICU bed capacity. So it's definitely I think most countries are now in a better position on that front compared to what they were um, before. I think the other thing, I mean, thinking about Kevin's question on vaccines, the sort of you know, it it is an interesting one because it's not just a question about you know there were concerns about Sinovac uh, before, yet Indonesia has a very low sort of caseload despite the fact it's heavily relying on Sinovac. It's also that Indonesia has a very low caseload despite the fact it's got a very low level of vaccination, and you know it's only a third of the population as of the end of November are fully vaccinated, which by ASEAN standards even is quite low. I mean, it's one of the lowest. It's only, I think, the Philippines and maybe Myanmar uh, that are lower than, than Indonesia. Um, so that in itself is interesting. I mean, we know there's this theory that a large percentage of the population were previously infected, given high levels of underreporting. So maybe natural antibodies are higher in the Indonesian population. Um, but that's also, I think... You
0: know, interesting to know. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty extraordinary circumstance. Okay, that's great, Peter Mumford from Eurasia Group. Thank you very much. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks, Peter. We we could talk all day if you like. We could talk for another hour.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure you got other things to do.
2: <laughs> Thanks very much.
1: Thanks to Peter Mumford of the Eurasia Group, our producer and editor, is Stephen Handoko, music by Blue Dot Sessions. For a free trial of Kevin O'Rourke's Reformasi weekly newsletter, check out his website at Reformacy.info. You can reach us at Instagram at OnTheLevel_Media. media. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us. It helps. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.